magazine Fans to change up a million years Staring sharp at what you saw Take a breath and lock the door Tell your children what to do Mistakes and all they still love you Change the face of a magazine Fans to change up a million years Another week. This is Jay Jovi. This is Sammy Hardon. In my pajamas, I might add. In her PJs. In her PJs. I got a a bit hot and sweaty listening to that track, and I had to fucking take me me dressing gown off. Well, that means they still got it. That's the effect. Oh. So we're doing something different today. Yeah, well, this is the 80s montage, guys. It's good that you're with us. Um, we are doing something different, Sammy. Go for it. We're doing an album review. <laughs> and this came about because I, I, every, ever since the world's gone berserk fighting each other on Facebook, the only song I can hear in my head is Watch the World, uh, you know, watch uh, Dancing on the Jetty. Watch the world argue, argue with itself. That's all I hear. So I put it up on my Facebook just for a little bit of a shit stir. Yep. And, uh... Everyone fucking went, oh, my God, I hope you put this in your repertoire. And we love this song. So I thought it might be time to do a little bit of an album review of The Swing in Excess. Yeah, so our very first album review and what an awesome album. This is one of the best albums of the 80s. Definitely, I think it's In Excess's best album. Yeah, I do too. I did love Shabu Shabar, but um, so did I. This this album is just so fantastic. It's just there's there's not like there's not a dud song on the album, and it just sounds so beautiful. Exactly, that's exactly what I was going to start with. There is not a shit song. Can you think of a shit song? They're all fucking great. There's not. You can actually um, so ten you know ten songs which. Um, you know, there were no rules. I don't know. You, you look at some 80s uh, albums from this period and they'll even have like eight songs on them and stuff because it all had to do with like total length if it was on an LP. But this has got um, ten songs, which is fairly standard, and um, they're all awesome, all fantastic. And some of them are fucking really long, five minutes long. Yeah, yeah. So this was a little bit different because... You know, people were a bit afraid to do a five-minute song. You know, they were like, oh, don't go too hard. But the more, the longer the song went for, the more royalties you got, which was the crazy thing. Ah, of course, people yeah. People didn't realise that the longer it went for. Well, it's so more sort of airtime, isn't it? Yeah. Ah. I, yeah, I yeah. had never so thought A lot of the of radio stations would cut. Yeah, well, I know that um, Original Sin had a radio edit. That's why they brought the radio edits in because some of the songs were becoming so long the radio stations wouldn't play them. Of course. So they would either make make their own radio edit or the band manager would go back and do a radio or, the, the, you know, the mixer or whoever. Yeah, yeah. Ah, interesting, interesting. I always thought radio edits were just to cut the swearing out, but there we go. Um all right, so this album, the swing, uh, the swing, it was In Excess's fourth studio album, and it was their first number one. It went to number one in Australia. Uh, it was released 
April 1984, which was a great year of music and just a, a, a beautiful year all round in the 80s. Um, this album, uh, by and large, was produced by our mate uh, Nick Lornay. He, he was famous yeah. for producing stuff for Nick Cave and the models before this and uh, Midnight Oil. And if you want to look at the 90s, Silverchair. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that's a favourite. I love Nick because he used to get wild musicians in on the studio uh, outside of the band. Yeah. So we used to get a lot of string players or piano players and he would bring in the most amazing, incredible musicians to add some stuff. And we do see this in this album. This is a very Nick Lornay fucking project though, isn't it? It is. You can hear it. Like if you play this against, I think he did, what, what's the Countdown album, the Midnight Oil one, 10, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. He, he did that, didn't he? That was his famous one that he did with Midnight Oil, I I'm believe. I'm not sure, honey. I think it was that. And, and Models, he did The Pleasure of Your Company. But there was also Noel Rogers as well. That's right. So the album sort of came about because Niall... Niall Rogers from Chic, of course, who we've spoken about a lot before because he had a massive um, impact on production and sound and feeling around this period and right into the 80s. Niall Rogers loved um, work that they had done on their previous album, which was Shabu Shabar. Mm. And I love Shabu Shabar Mm. as well. So do Um, I. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He really liked a lot of their stuff. I think he felt that there could have been a bit more funk to it and so he wanted to have a bit of a jam with them and uh, he proposed this. He met up with them when they were touring with Men at Work, I believe, and and, uh, they crossed paths in Toronto in Canada. Toronto. Mm -hmm. And he suggested that they have a bit of a jam session. So they're like, cool, you know, and they teared it up, teared it up and everything. And they were going to be in New York at the same time. So they thought, well, we'll do it then. And then they thought, like, if we're going to have a jam, let's actually turn it into a full um, recording session and we'll record something. So they brought this song to he- they, they brought the song to him, which would eventually be Original Sin, which is the first single single off the album and the first track on the album. And they recorded it in New York at the Power Station. We've talked about the Power Station as well before, sort of iconic uh, recording studio. And Niall produced that track. So apart from this, uh, Nick Lornay uh, produced everything else. But yeah, uh, Original Sin was a Niall Rogers produced track. Yeah, that's right. And to say that, all the In Excess boys were fans of Chic. They loved them. But they never admitted to it because they were a bit afraid being in a rock band to admit that they liked Chic, you know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of In Excess used to get stalked by a lot of producers at a lot of their shows. Yes. So they'd just turn up out of nowhere and say, hey, can I produce your record, you know? They had a lot of stuff. So I'm pretty sure the boys were quite nervous when uh, Noel Rogers walked backstage to say, how you going? Which you would be. Oh, God, yeah. They would have had... And uh, Shabu Shabar had entered the US chart. It didn't do a lot. There was there was still sort of, a, in, the, in terms of the US, an up-and-coming um, foreign act, you know? So, so uh, they were still sort of making grounds in the US. Uh, and Niall caught up with them, loved them, and he 
thought, you know, let's do this. Um, let's uh, produce a song together. Let's record a song together. So it is a. It did. I I absolutely love original sin. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I just ache for it. It's it's one of their best tracks. It's got to be in their top three. I, I just love it so much. It's 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 like the quintessential NXS track. It's just so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and it's NXS's dream. They loved to make people dance in the pubs. They didn't just want to be a primi- primitive fucking rock band. Yeah, they wanted to make people dance. So this is where they really shine. And you can, I, I guess, you can thank Nile in. A lot of senses because it's like with this song, he gave them the confidence to sort of slightly develop and adjust their sound. So this was largely um, a departure from what they had done before in terms of sound because they had done a lot of post-punk and new wave stuff. And this was moving more into funk, funk rock territory. It really sort of brought together... Uh, a lot of the stuff that Gary and John were doing on on uh, bass and drums. So it really locked in the bass and drums. Not that they weren't locked in together before, but funk has like a fantastic way of locking in your rhythm section because it's all ba- you know it's all rhythm heavy. It's bass well, stuff. Well, not only that, not many people can play funk. There That's are right. not many bands that are rock that can cross in. Have you ever heard a bad rock drummer play funk? It's fucking horrible. They don't get it. Right? So this is the one thing about John. Mm. He had the feel for it. Yeah. Which is a start. But um, I know that um, he introduced Daryl Hall to come in and do BVs as well. Now, I read that and I couldn't believe that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Daryl Hall's on BVs, which is great because he's got an incredible voice and he actually said, I don't know why they needed me. But that would have been Miles just going, Miles, I'm talking Miles Davis now, sorry. Niall. Um, saying I'll get my mate Daryl in to do BVs because he probably didn't think none of the other boys could sing. I don't know. Well, uh, he he sort of uh, he acknowledges that you know they they were good singers in that band, but it was a particular sort of a, a particular vocal quality that Sound. he was going for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's Daryl Hall from Hall and Oates. Uh, if you guys didn't recognise the name that's out there. It. Um, it is a long song. Fucking it runs singer. at uh, five music. minutes twenty, so it's um, on the longer side. Mm. Um, and it was actually Niall that suggested the lyrical change that made this song so controversial. Um, it was Niall because originally the the lyric in the chorus was "Dream on, white boy, dream on, white girl." And because that was a really mm-hmm. popular, that was a really popular sort of phrase in the eighties, like oh, "dream on," you know. So that it was a really popular phrase to, to say to somebody, "dream on." But the moment Niall suggested to change it to "dream on, white boy, dream on, black girl," and vice versa, the moment he changed it to that, it changed the meaning of the song. It gave it all this sort of gravity and made it very, very controversial because Niall was actually sort of. Uh, multiracial himself it, so it was his idea that he um, brought it to the song uh, even though Hutch and Andrew Farris had written it yeah I loved it it made me feel a little warm inside that we had the two racial subjects in the one song like it was very different to hear that yeah I thought yeah in the yeah. 80s when I first because I actually fell on this album by mistake The way I found out about this album was because I'd won a competition with Eon FM and 
it was an Anzac Day competition and in a Hessian bag you got all these records. So there'd be someone out there that got the same thing and the swing was in it. So I gave it a go on my turntable. I could not stop playing it. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. It's it's just the the I've got I've got the vinyl and I bought it years yeah. ago. It was one of the first vinyls I ever bought and um the vinyl the cover sort of doesn't give you an indication of how awesome the actual uh, the album actually is. You know what I mean? It's sort of um, oh, I love the cover. Yeah, I don't know. I, I felt that it could have been a little bit more artistic. Like I do get the sort of Polaroid, the kind of scrapbook feel of it and everything. But I love the Shabu well, Shabu cover. Time it was all sort of like, mis- you know, mysterious. It was quite arty and beautiful photography. But there you go. Horses for courses. Well, see, in the 80s, in 80, 1984, Polaroids were the biggest thing out. Oh, yeah. And people were starting to, to make that kind of artwork. Um, and it's sort of come in again with people. But I loved – inside the sleeve there was a lot of colourful sort of – I didn't mind the art the artwork at all. In fact, it was the artwork where I looked at it and went, these guys look interesting because that front photo is fucking great of the whole band. Yeah, it is very compelling. I mean, all the bands sort of looking off in different directions but like Hutch looking right down the barrel into the – I remember that that really sort of striking me from an early age, um, Hutch looking right at you, you know. It was really engaging. But, um, yeah, mm. awesome, awesome track. And so, it, so originally, I mean, it wasn't really a song about a, a, a multi, you know, a, a, a biracial union, like a, a, a love affair between a, a, a black man or a white woman and vice versa. It wasn't. But isn't it amazing you can just change one word and completely change not just the meaning of the song but the legacy of the song. Niall often says that um, uh, that the album didn't do – the album itself, people loved it but it was very controversial. So Niall also says that, you know, maybe if he hadn't have made it controversial by, by, by bringing that theme in, it could have sold better. We'll never know. But um, it's just so interesting how powerful words are, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't think we were listening to words back then, babe, as kids, you know, and, and as adults. Were we really like you can interpret this album any way you wanted to interpret it. Yeah. There was nothing really black and white about it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, dream on black girl, white boy. Um, yeah. It's very hard to do this song live because you've got to get the black and the white sort of in the right area. Yeah. People always fuck it up. I've watched people do it. It's hilarious. Um, so now the thing that also was a little bit weird about this is we started to see them bring in the Japanese culture. Yeah. As far as the video clips concerned. So that was very unusual for Aussies to see that as well. Because in the 80s, if you went to, if you could afford to go to Japan as a white citizen, you were just photographed in Japan. Like people loved the look of anyone that wasn't Japanese. So it would have been a great a great sort of marketing ploy to uh, go to Japan. They probably didn't have the money to do it at this stage either. Get the video done, a couple of motorbikes, whatever. And also the Japanese director, we see him do this video, uh, which was just incredible, like a lovely Japanese girl with a pair of thongs on and some bobby socks. Got to fucking love that. (laughs) 
What was his name again? Was it Yamamoto something? Oh, you're asking me to pronounce it? I've got Yash, Yashiku Yamam, Yamamoto. <laughs> Yashik, Yashiku Yamamoto. Could mean anything. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can see why I got it to pronounce it, everybody. <laughs> Yashi, Yashiku Yamamoto. But oh. he, yeah, he was amazing. All right. <laughs> I love the video. I loved the video. It's like they're a yeah. sort of, um, like they're a sort of bikey gang. And he looks so, Hutch looks so fucking cool on the bike with his long totally. mullet. Oh. Mullet. It's just awesome. And it's sort of beautiful details in that film clip as well. They're, they're sort of setting up a carnival in the, in the background. It could, I mean, it's sort of, it's, it's Japanese, but really it could have been anywhere, you know. It, it, um, could have been, um, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's all this shit is happening sort of behind them, like big trucks sort of driving past and it's, it's really fucking cool. I love it. I love this song. Fucking awesome. And what do you call the Japanese dressing gowns? Uh, kimono. What are they called? Kimono. Okay. We all went out and brought one after this video. Yeah. And we all went out and brought fucking machetes, you name it. Machetes? In the 80s. All, the, all of, in the 80s, absolutely. If Ma- you if you were in a house with someone and machete. you were renting with someone, the Japanese, yeah, we had machetes hanging from the wall on the fucking fireplace. Like oh, a no big one had come around. We were doing photo shoots with them. Don't you mean a samurai sword? Oh, everything really, whatever. <laughs> samurai sword. You, we like, had short, long samurais. <laughs> we used to put him in. We used to put him in our mouth and take photo shoots, like oh. in the nineties. We're still talking about tough. samurai swords, yeah. That's right. Way before Salt Nightclub fucking did it. <laughs> oh, that's a bit harsh. Oh God. Oh fuck. How cool. So it sort of. Um, it had a bit of a. Um, the the key the, the the sort of the keys in this song are like a little bit sort of oriental as well. There, there are a lot of sort of effects effects in and around this time where they were bringing a little bit of the bit bit of an oriental touch. You know, like in um, what's his name, David dun, Bowie. Dun, in, dun, dun, yeah, dun, dun, David dun, Bowie dun, with dun, Let's dun. Dance. You know, yeah, he bought oh, that look, sort it was of huge. Yeah, yeah, and that was a Nile Rodgers huge. sort of uh, influence thing as well. Absolutely, produced by him. Yeah, there we go. All right, beautiful. And so we, we started mi- to eat sushi. Yeah, we we, we might start. Eating sushi. Um, we might start because it would have been sort of, you know, Japan by this point would have been like an economical power again, sort of after building up after the Second World War, and the world would have been rediscovering Japan. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we might jump in to the rest of the album. Let's have a look. S- track two. Track I'm two. in the sun. Yeah. Is he saying Love great it. expectations? Is it great expectations? Yep. Yeah. Great expectations. I think it's about Australia. Right. Because they were, they were quite concerned in excess about Australia that the world was getting too close because you could be in another country within 24 hours mm. and they were quite concerned that we would get into a situation that we didn't really, we couldn't. Um, he, actually, Hutchie said within 15 years the world's going to get so close there's going to be some huge dramas and that's what we're fucking going through now. 
Well, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I think it's brilliant that we can sort of share information and news and and all kinds of things so easily. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of globalism. I think it sort of waters down localized culture, and you lose so much in in terms of mm-hmm. you know you gain you gain a lot, but you also lose a lot. So it's a double-edged sword. Uh-huh, sword. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, this melting in the sun. I love the track, but I couldn't tell you what it was about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, melting in the sun. I think it's about just ordinary life, really. It's, it's pretty. It's a pretty fucking cool song. It's a great song. Yeah. And with this album, I think as a kid, it was the beat and the bass and everything that was. I mean, Nick Lornay, obviously, his sounds. You know, he was the sound guy, wasn't he? And yeah. He just put shit in and and made thing explode. And, you know? and Hutchie was a uh, really fantastic lyricist by this point. Really, really good. He, um, I think this would have been about their sixth year as a band, I think. Um, so four 79, yep, yep. Yeah. So Five or six, yep. By this point, like, he was a, you know, he was a master lyricist. He, he was a fantastic lyricist. Beautiful, dreamy lyrics. Romantic. He could make a kind of. He could make a slight um, comment about society without being too cynical. Like he kept it sort of romantic, even when he said things like, "Watch the world argue." It then became, "Who's gonna teach me? Who's gonna? What is it? Peace and happiness." Yeah, peace and happiness. Mm. So he would Absolutely. sort of. He would sort of touch on. Cynicism, but then it'd be romantic again. I love his writing around this period. All of the songs on this album are written by Andrew and Hutchie or the band. And there's only one song that has somebody from outside the band as a co-writer. So look, this this whole album is written by the band. There's no covers. There's no um, nobody else that's written anything. So it did quite well. They would have had a big influx in money. Yeah, sales. well, I mean, they spent a lot of they spent a lot of money because I think they needed to go to America to do anything. That's right. Um, and Hutchie's the first. Hutchie's the first to say everyone thought we had money when we went over there, and we had fucking none. Yeah. And the faster we the faster we worked in America when we came back to Australia, the slower the Australians worked, and they couldn't stand us because we wanted to get shit done tomorrow. You know, so yeah. when you do go when you do go overseas and you spend thousands on airfares and you've got an office in America, Australia's be, become really slow yeah. in their stuff. Gotcha. You know. Yeah, yeah. Becomes, uh, would have been very frustrating. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They were always going places. You know, they were always sort of reaching these guys. They were awesome. So Melting in the Sun then moves on to I Send a Message, which is the second single from the album. I love this song mm. as well. I think um, mm-hmm. you, and, and a really good sort of, I guess, a follow-on for Nick as a producer to follow uh, uh, Original Sin as, as being the next single. You know what I mean? He's, he's Nick tr- or Nile. Nick as producer following on from Original Sin. So Nick Nick produced this. Niall produced yep. Original Sin. So um, yep. he it's 
it doesn't flow as much as original sin. It's sort of segmented, but you can really hear each band member. You can hear the bass. You can hear the the keys, the the sax. Like it's it's beautiful. You can hear the vocals really well. It's a beautifully produced song. This, and he was only young at the time, wasn't he, Nick? Yeah. He was still sort of up and coming. So. So so confident the he, production. Yeah, he was. He was just. He was a. He was a good gun. He was doing the models and stuff like that. And they went with Nick because he was the guy. Yeah. Everyone loved him. Mm. You know, and it was like go with Nick. That was the obvious thing. But uh, send a message. I actually thought Niall had something to do with that as well, but I might be wrong. Okay. Um, oh. Sounds like Niall's on guitar. Do you know one more fun fact before I forget about Original Sin? Original Sin, yeah. Original Sin is the only in excess song recorded on US soil while Michael was alive. Everything else what was. About a, oh yeah, Original Sin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything yep. else was recorded um, largely in the UK or Australia or around the world, but not US. This the uh, Original Sin was the only one recorded on American soil while Michael was alive. They did stuff with JD Fortune, but. Whatever. Um, so uh, I send a message getting back to that. It's got a guitar and a sax solo, which is very, very, very 80s. And this song, as well as this entire album, really made the most of uh, Kirk Pengilly's sax. Um, really sort of yeah. um, not just solos, but, you know, punchy little sax um Accents and stuff, really fucking cool stuff. It made me, um, this song made me want to play sax as a kid. I used to play trumpet and I felt right. I missed, felt I missed out, you know, because <laughs> this yeah. song, it was a much cooler instrument. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a few sax solos on this record that I enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the singles, I have to say. I'm more a uh, what was on the album. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mind Original Sin. I guess I love Original Sin, don't get me wrong, but um, when you hear stuff like Dancing on the Jetty and, and all the other stuff, I kind of think, oh, they're so magical, you know. Maybe because yeah. they were played a lot more. Yes, and there are a few tracks on this album that weren't released as singles and I think, fuck, that's such a, that's such a missed opportunity. They could have got so much more mileage out of it, you know, if they were released as, as singles. And, and we'll go into that later. Um, the clip of I Sent a Message was filmed in Tokyo as well at a Buddhist yep. temple, actually the oldest Buddhist, yep. Buddhist temple in Tokyo. And uh, so they followed with the sort of Japanese theme, which was beautiful. Same director as original scene as well. Mm. Yeah. What Yashikomo was Yakamata. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. All right. So love that song. It was all song. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Love that song. Um, beautiful. Really fucking cool. Beautiful feeling. I love Hutch's vocal. I really connect to it. I, I love it. His vocal in this album is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he stays in that mid-range, which is just incredible. And not many singers like to stay in that mid-range. They think they've got to go too high or too low and it fucking ruins it. He, he would you know? la, sort of later in their career he would do a lot of higher 
when they moved into sort of more stadium rock territory and everything, he would do sort of like, you know, sing at the top of his range a lot more and that kind of thing. And to be honest, it wasn't as compelling. He is much more compelling in that mid-range and no, especially the No, well, you've got to go with the, the sound range. of the music. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, his voice is much more sort of compelling, especially in, the, in his lower range and his mid-range. He's got a beautiful tone there. Better tone. Than anything. Yeah. And that's the one thing that singers don't get about their own voices. You've got to sing in a tone that suits you. You don't fucking break your ass and sing shit that doesn't sound rich in tone. Yeah. It's all about the tone because that's where the feeling comes from. Yep. You know? Absolutely. So track four, Dancing on the Jetty. Love this, love this, love this. Has that beautiful orchestral intro, which is a re- real, I-, I think, a real sort of Nick Launay touch, you know, having... having. It's actually one of his musos that came in, William Edward Monsing, an American composer. So he was a strings guy. Yep. And he did Young Einstein. He did the soundtrack to that. He Young Einstein. He did the soundtrack to Prisoner. <laughs> yeah. Young Einstein. Young Einstein, you banana. Oh, Einstein. Yeah, Albert Young Einstein. Einstein. What was his? El- the fucking Nary Warren version. <laughs> uh, prisoner. He did Prisoner, Mother and Son. Ah. I still call Australian home. So, you know, Peter Allen, that still call Australian home, that was yes. his string arrangement. So I've got a feeling William was brought in for Dancing on the Jetty. Cool. And a lot of, like, and a lot of other tracks. Yeah. But then it sort of breaks stride, you know, really early. Like, and it's, um, it sort of change, has a lot of changes in it, this song. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't think it would be as hooky as it is, you know, because of all those musical changes. It sort of keeps you on your feet, you know. Um, it's an interesting, mm, mm. I think it's an interesting choice for a single. I actually think it's an interesting choice for a single. Um, because it is so various like that. It's not simple, you know. Um, and it's sort of, it's almost like a Midnight Oil song, you know. Yeah, well, Chris Murphy did get thrown the band by Midnight Oil's fucking manager. That's so right. there was a big relationship there. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Gary Collins managed Midnight Oil and said, Hey, dude, I can't be fucked doing both bands. Do you want it? Chris was only a fucking band guy. He was only like a fucking did cover bands and shit at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I know that after the fourth song, Chris Murphy said, yeah, look, I think I'm going to dedicate my life. For a band guy that just does cover bands and parties and bar mitzvahs, to manage a Australian band, it's a big risk to take. Fuck, you know? absolutely. And he showed a lot of balls as a manager, like just, you know, Fuck so yeah. much self-belief and fortitude. He, he just really believed in the band. That it, it was his life. He'd so I reckon he would have had a relationship with him for a long time mm. just to get hold of the reins, I reckon. Yep, for sure. But now, you're right, it, it definitely does sound like that. Yeah, this song does have that beautiful lyric, Watch the World Argue, that Semi was talking about. Um, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. It has that beautiful, in the chorus, has that beautiful synth hook. The din, 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 din. 
all the beautiful little touches there. Just, just so beautiful, guys. I hope you're listening to that. <laughs> hope you're listening to the album as we're sort of reviewing it because, yeah, we're living and breathing it as we would have back right back in 1984 when we first heard it. it we just absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh. Now, I did, you know, when you look at In Excess videos, you get a couple of tribute bands sneak in and you go, oh, fuck, I'm watching this tribute band. Not only can the tribute bands not pull off those string sounds, it's fucking horrible. I was absolutely mortified yeah. by watching some of these bands. Yeah. Especially doing my favourite Jonathan's Aeroplane. They were like Johnson's Aeroplane. They were fucking ruining it. But in saying that, I don't think In Excess really pulled these tracks off live 100%. No, interestingly enough. Um, no. It, look, it's very... It's very difficult to live up to an album like this live. You know what I mean? It's very mm, mm. and and because it was quite a departure from their previous stuff, would have sounded quite different as well. Like you imagine kind of them touring this in the years after this was released. You know, these songs just would have like outshone and everything else. But yeah, I mean, the production is so beautiful. Would have been very difficult to pull it off live. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been happy as a manager. But yeah. anyway, I do love the fact that they tried. But I did see one of the tracks and I couldn't even make out what the fucking song was. I think it was The Swing. And I was like, what the fuck is this song? There was just nothing in it. Yeah. Um, But in saying that. That's okay. An album's an album, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned The Swing being the album name, the next track and the last track on the A-side of this record is The Swing. Love it. And I think the entire band wrote this one. Yeah. Pretty good track. Don't know. I love it. Swing like a pendulum. I didn't know what a pendulum when I was little. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I thought it was about swingers. <laughs> I thought it was about the swing at the park. <laughs> Fuck you. You must have been young when this came out. How old were you? Year one. It was um, the year that I guess Michael Jackson was the biggest thing in the world. I can remember... Um, you know, year one, not much I can remember, but I can remember Thriller coming out and I can remember this album coming out. This mm. was huge, mm. especially up north. Because of the sort of funky, tropical vibe that this album has, this was huge in Cairns where I grew up. You know, this was huge up north. It was very... It's like a soundtrack to your holiday in the in that time. You know what I mean? It really, Absolutely. really took you away, and so it was it was huge up there. It was huge up there in that region as tourism was really opening up um, in the in the early eighties, really booming. Um, so you'd hear this song sort of played at the clubs and in the streets and all over the radio. And musos used to. You know, back when the tour circuit was absolutely thriving, musos would basically, and especially Australian ones, they'd start their tours at Cairns and they'd work their way all down the East Coast 
so that basic and it was really good it was really good practice for bands actually because especially if they were touring a new album they would start at Cairns they would work their way down to the east coast and by the time that they started hitting all the capital cities they'd be sort of well rehearsed you know those songs would be sort of well rehearsed live and um, so it was a really good sort of way to pace themselves but they had that sort of I guess opening night uh, vibrance of playing in can like the can shows. My brother used to, um, he used to have an awesome camera and he used to take photos around this period of all the acts and they'd often play at a venue in Cairns called the Playpen, which had a really big band stage. And um, some of the photos that he's, he's got from this period of In Excess, of Midnight Oil, of The Models, like, oh God, they're just so fucking incredible. Just so beautiful. And it's um, really great for me to have them now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because in those days we didn't have your iPhone, so we were taking photos and waiting a week to get the pictures yeah. from the bloody Rabbit Express yeah. or wherever the fuck you went. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was really full on to make sure, because oh, you'd, you'd be sweating to see whether you got a photo of your favourite person. Yeah. Because sometimes you did it. You get someone's head in the fucking audience. You missed it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Somebody's it was fuck, really hard somebody's to judge. hand like over Hutch's face. You know? <laughs> oh, exactly. Ah, God. Fucking horrible. So there we go. We threw uh, side A of one of our favourite yeah. albums, The Swing. Um, we've got a lovely little ad for you. It's very in this vibe, very sort of tropical and sexy. Check it out. Very is. commercial i remember that jingle yeah so do i really kind of sexy it's one of those alcohol ads in the 80s were exciting they were really fucking cool um you know and and they're all like holiday vibes you had you had sort of two camps you had either like beer and it was all like pub culture like fucking all down with your mates or you had things like this um which would be sort of selling uh, cocktail, like resort, sort of holiday kind of vibe and, you know, go on a sexy holiday and and have a Bacardi. And that's what this was, all full of beautiful sunset lighting and Venetian blinds and the sun streaming through on, on you know, your lovely tanned ass, that kind of thing. Bacardi was huge in the 80s in the clubs at this stage as well. Yeah. Like I used to drink Bacardi and Coke. Yep. Now I'm a Jim Bean and girl. Oh, yeah. But Bacardi and Coke was my thing. Yep. You know, Bacardi. You, know, you, you go to a nightclub. Bacardi is the most popular spirit in the world by far. Wow. Yep. It's beautiful. Yep. It's because it's in a lot of cocktails. It's in a lot of, um, you think cocktails, you think sort of, 
you think sort of beach cocktails, don't you? You think of your fucking pina coladas and your daiquiris and shit. And so, you know, mm. white rum is in a lot of those, so it's the most popular. You would have thought like it was vodka, but it's actually white rum. It's actually Bacardi. And I had a mate who got the Bacardi bat Tattooed on his arm. Oh, fuck. No fucking way. Yes. Yep. You've was got, he in cans? <laughs> yes, he was. So you've got to be um, – and like in you, – you get sort of tats these days like trying to be ironic, you know. Like you get Homer Simpson like, oh, look, I got Homer Simpson. But in the day – it wasn't really the done thing to get like joke tats, you know, like ironic tats. Yeah, or or you get fucking Tweety Bird on your vag if you're a slut. Oh, yeah, fucking Tweety Bird. Yeah, uh, there's me bird. There's me yeah. pussy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on, get me bird, you pussy. <laughs> oh no, that doesn't work. <laughs> get me pussy, you bird. <laughs> oh, fuck it, Al. Oh, fucking pussy loving. All right, beautiful. So let's open up this B-side, shall we? Okay, my favourite song on the album right now. Yeah, Johnson's Aeroplane. Oh. Semi loves fucking it. Fucking love it. Yeah. Love it. Always have, always will. Now, you've, when you've I heard said in this... the past it was your favourite In Excess song, haven't you? Yeah, it is my favourite In Excess song. And it's Dallas's favourite In Excess, or one of her favourite. She's more of an In Excess fan than I am. But remember we did that Patreon and we both went, oh, my God, Johnson's Aeroplane. And I went, oh, my God, have I told you this before? And she's like, no, I just love it. Yeah. The strings in it are incredible. Yep. And it's just about nothing, but I love it. Yeah. What's it about? Oh, fuck, I wouldn't have a clue. Exactly. But you know what? You know, I mean. We don't, we, we, we can, and, and because I teach, you know, performing arts basically when I'm not fucking being a rock star and a fucking podcast um, presenter. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I sort of talk to my students a lot about you didn't have to know the meaning down to the nth degree in in these days and and sort of before Mm. the internet era because you just simply didn't have access to all the explanation, you know. And so your mindset as an audience member in those days, you you just accepted the unknown. Oh, cool, okay. You just sort of rolled with it and fucking enjoyed it. If only people could do that more so these days, you know. Well, I'd only heard of Johnson's Band-Aids at this stage. Jesus. Fucking I thought it was a plane with Band-Aids on it or something. (laughs) My head went... But, uh, you know, I don't know. Johnson's... It's just such a funky, fucking well-produced track. Yeah. That an In Excess wrote for themselves. They didn't just write for the the top 40 hit. They wrote shit for themselves. Yeah. And that's where you get the art. Yes. Yeah. That's right. But one of my favourites. I love it. And, you know, Maddie's a pilot, so that doesn't surprise me uh, that I ended up with a fucking pilot. It's another reason you like it, so. Not really. Yeah. The, the, um, I like an aeroplane. Watch the, the here comes the aeroplane. <laughs> and it's Maddie's dick. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. Um, how is Matty, our man behind the bar? He's not he's, with us tonight, asleep. is he? He's asleep. He's essentially working his ass off, as we call it. Yeah. 
essential worker. He's asleep, so he'll be editing this tomorrow going, what the fuck have you done? He's a queen, isn't he? No. No, he is a queen. Now, this next song, Love love is, Love is What I Say. Um, What I Say. Yeah. This, this is um, the only song on the album with that co-writer. His name was Anthony Braxton Smith. Good on him. He, right. He sort of, you know, it's a, it's a great song. Um, you can't help but listen to this song and dance. I fucking love it. Yeah. And Who, where did this guy come from? How was he the fucking? I don't juice know. Boy I've searched and searched and searched. He wasn't right. a. He right. wasn't a. Um, he wasn't in the, ba- you know, he wasn't in the band. He wasn't a session muso or anything like this. I can't find any information on him. Um, he and wow. I, I can't find mention of him, um, of him anywhere else. Maybe he was just a sort of a friend or a co-writer or a muso of one of the boys, and you know, lyrically he made some alterations, and so they gave him a credit. But there you go. I think this uh, this is one of the songs that I think should have been. A single. I think this should have been a single. I think it's really. They strong. did do a video. They did do a video to it. Did they? Didn't they? Hey. Yeah. Love is what I say. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure they did. So I don't know whether it was released as a single or not. Right. Unless it was a fan video, but I'm pretty sure. I don't think it was released as a single, but yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, yeah. They would have fucking. Honey, they would have fucking toured their asses off with this album. There wouldn't have been a lot of time to be filming, um, you know, film clips of any length. You know. Yeah. So there you go. A lot of them. I mean, I remembered. I mean, we're going to talk about Richard Lowenstein, obviously, because he was the man, you know, yeah. that comes up soon. Mm. Uh, but we'll talk about that. But. I do know that Love Is, there was a video of some description and it may have been the tail end of this release. I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. Because we we know a lot but we don't know everything. But we'll make you believe we do. That's right. And we're basically searching for stuff (laughs) that's... we're, We're searching for sort of, you know, finer details that are... 30, 40 years old. Oh, <laughs> exactly. And you you could go forever finding details on the fucking shoelaces they wore. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like you could go so deep and the thing is, you know, it gets a bit long when you start doing that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, when you sort of search for stuff, what you can always find is people reflecting back uh, on listening to this album, like people reflecting now about sort of hearing that album back then and what what it meant to them and there was this great <laughs> there was this great story that I read online on a forum um, about this guy saying how much he loved the album and he was an Aussie guy but he was working in Ireland um, a lot of Aussies used to sort of especially if they had uh, British or Irish heritage or European heritage they would go back to Europe to su- sort of do their gap year you know and a lot of Aussies used to, especially with the UK, used to go and sort of work over there, you know, just to fucking see the world and see the old country kind of shit. Anyway, um, so this guy was working in like a function venue, uh, playing, a, doing a wedding at the time. And was he a muso? Um, no, just a fan, you know, just a just a just a dude. 
and he was um, working at this function venue and he was working um, in, in the – like as a waiter, like serving the food and everything. But it's sort of <laughs> – you know how sort of a new technology will come out and people will start using it before there's a sort of protocol about how that thing should be used? You know what I mean? So all of a sudden mobile phones started being used and people would fucking, you'd be mid-conversation and they'd check a text before they even knew that that was hugely fucking rude, yeah? So often you would have like... I'm not laughing at you. I'm remembering something that happened. Oh, often you would have sort of waiters and waitresses. Keep going and I'll tell you my story. Okay, lovely. I will. They, often you would have um, waiters and waitresses that would – and I can remember this, waiters and waitresses with um, ear, like earphones on, with their Walkman earphones on. Listening to music. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember this so clearly. Really? That would never fucking happen. No, you know, these days that would never fucking happen. But this guy, um, he bought the album on cassette and he had it like his little Walkman. You can just imagine this waiter at a wedding bringing fucking food out, listening to his Walkman. And apparently he listened to the entire thing front to back throughout the entirety of this wedding service in this function it got to dessert he was still listening to it and he bumped into this other girl and um who was who was fucking listening to her walkman as well they bumped into each other both of their walkmans fell to the floor the cassettes fell out of the walkman and it was both the same album they were both listening to the swing by an excess Wow. Did they get married? No, but they picked up he fingered up, but he later, but he <laughs> <laughs> but but first he picked up the the tape and handed it back to the girl and she handed it back his, but it wasn't until later that they realized that they'd given each other back the other tape cuz she had written her name on hers. <laughs> Oh my god! I fucking well, I'm going to tell you a funny story. Talking about when when new technology comes in. Yeah. So I worked in a Jewish reception band, and obviously the photographers uh, that work in Jewish reception bands get the latest technology. So this guy, he would have been maybe twenty or maybe fifteen years ago, got a new iPhone. It yeah. was the first iPhone on the market, right? And it was two and a half grand. He's got this iPhone and he's showing the band this new iPhone. Now, we're sitting there and looking at this iPhone going, wow, that's amazing. Fuck, how do you get, how do you afford this? How much are they? Blah, blah, blah. So someone said to him, you know, and with the function table, there's always soft drinks, food, everything lying around. So the photographer had just brought this phone. And I remember the front man in the band going, can you show me the phone? Pass it to me. He went to pass him the phone and the fucking thing fell in a lemon squash fucking drink and fucked the whole thing. <laughs> like that was the end of the phone. And his face, I'll never forget it. <laughs> it just happened to drop into the drink, the lemon squash fucking jug, and gone was the iPhone. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I just thought of that straight away. Did you laugh at the time, you bitch? You were probably pissing yourself. I fucking laughed. <laughs> I was I was laughing. I was pissing myself because it was like he's showing off his new iPhone, right? 
and all of a sudden he's passed the iPhone, it's dropped out of his hand and into the drink and we, I mean, the guy, I think it was Amy, Amnon, and he felt so bad that, you know, I hope he insured it. He wouldn't have the poor bastard. No. I've seen, I've seen, you know how dickheads these days sort of line up for the new iPhone and do all that shit? Mm. I've I've seen on the news this stupid bitch um, bragging about, oh, I was the first in line and, and she's on the news and they're like, oh, wow, show us a look. She pulls it out of the box and it falls to the ground on its face and completely shudders. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Suck shit. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Fucking dickhead. Yeah, fucking pull out your new phone. saying that I don't mind an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What song are we up to? I'm getting a bit pissed. Okay. Oh, good. We're up to, Sammy, Face the Change. Now, Face the Change, apart from the singles and shit. Yeah. Apart from the singles and stuff, you know, it's a given how genius they are. This would be my favourite album on the track. Oh, Oh, fucking track on the album, you know. I'm, see, I'm not pissed and I'm doing what you do. No, um, I love it. I love it. Face You're the change. turning into me. <laughs> Face the Change is the song that we open the show with. It's very funky. We it has a real. Very. It has a real sort of Bowie, Duran Duran, even Grace Jones feeling to it, you know? Do you get that? Mm-hmm. Grace Jones, mm-hmm. bit of Grace Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the album was Absolutely. recorded in the UK. And they're all sort of UK artists. I wonder if there's a bit of an influence somehow because of the geography there. Are you with me? Well, this is why I think – I know Noel Rogers wasn't put on every one of the album, but I've got a feeling he had a little bit of a walk into the studio whenever he felt like it. You know, I've I, I got a feeling there might have been a bit more there than um, – as much as it's very Nick Lorne, eh? Uh, Face the Change is very funky and that guitar riff is very Nile Rogers. But I could be wrong. We'd have to ring him. It actually reminds me of the stuff that Duran Duran did with Nile Rogers. Yes. uh, Just recently. The recent stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep. So I think you might be right there. Old Nile must have stuck his dick in and... um, you know, had a look. Well, I don't think Niall is the type of guy to want the world. You know what I mean? Like he's quite str- he's quite strong in himself and I don't think he would have gone, well, put my fucking name on every track. No. It's just amazing that they've really put it out there as a Niall Rogers project when yeah. it, he only really did one song. Yeah. So what did he do? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I love that one. I love that one. Really, really fucking cool. Love face it. Do you know what it? Did you know what it's about? Because I fucking don't. I think it's just facing the change of everything. Oh, uh, it's about. They were quite political, weren't they? Yeah, it's about changes and sort of you know facing them and coming to terms with how things change. It's yeah. about Dolly magazine. Face the change yeah. of a magazine. Yeah, Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> do you know um, what I tried to do you know what I tried to get today as a drink? What? I wanted to get the new Kylie Minogue alcohol because I thought that would be in the theme. What? Bit of Kylie Minogue. She's Kylie Minogue's just come out with a new champagne or bottle of champagne. Has she? Are you serious? 
Yeah. Yeah, oh, everyone said, how do you not know this? No. What? Oh, my God, yeah. Champagne? Yeah, she's got a brand of, she's got a chain of fucking drinks now. Kylie Minogue, the champagne, the wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went into my local bottle and I went, hey, I want a bottle of Kylie Minogue. And they looked at me like I was a fuckwit. And I went, what do you mean? And they went, she's not doing drinks. And I said, well, there's no fucking music industry anymore, mate. She's got to do something. So they were looking for it. And then they went, ah, oh, no, nah, no, nah, Kylie Minogue drinks. And I went, oh, maybe it's just in England. It's not out yet. Because I thought I wouldn't mind drinking on a bit of Kylie's Fucking juice while we're talking about uh, incest. <laughs> I see. You know what I mean? I get ya. Yeah. Uh, Hutchie's drunker, yeah. so why can't I? Everyone can have a drink. <laughs> no, I'll have to. No, Kylie's got a new thing. Okay, yeah. right. Well, I'll have to sort of go searching for that. I'll be interested to see what it tastes like. Um, Great. So from Face the Change into the third single from the album, which is Burn For You. Fucking love Burn For You. Yeah. Very Queensland. It is. With Very the, Queensland. In the, in, the, in, the, in the choruses, all those beautiful, you can hear the female BVs. And I think it's Jenny Morris and it might be Shireen Abaratni as well, but defi- definitely Jenny Shireen. Morris. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, definitely yeah, Jenny Shireen, Morris. I mean, she's in the video. Yep. Right. Okay, cool. They've got um, – I used to love this song as well because it's got tour footage from Queensland. At the very beginning, they're taking off uh, from a regional airport and it's Mackay, which is sort of smack bang in the middle of the Queensland sort of east coast. And my brother grew up there. And this is – yeah, well, this is the first time I saw a video with a population of a state or a territory. And as a kid, I was quite drawn to that. Oh, Mackay has 45,000 people or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, this is the first Richard Lowenstein video as well. This yeah. is where they first meet. And Michael and Richard actually get together and become really good friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to love... I do love sort of band tour footage and everything. It's a real great way of doing a behind the scenes and you really get a a feel for the band, like seeing that footage and everything and them getting up early and fucking schlepping to the airport and, you know, and then you'll see a bit of gig footage and a bit of fucking green room footage and it's really exciting. I used to fucking love it. And um, uh, I... We sort of tried to do something like it with one of the 10,000 videos, Like a Disease, um, that for the single Like a Disease. And we shot it in black and white, or we coloured it in black and white. And it's all kind of, yeah, this kind of thing, like us fucking carting our gear around and, you know, going on tour and doing that kind of thing. And, yeah, I, I, I believe, Burn For You, I believe this um, this video clip was the, uh, the inspiration for that, largely. Well, Richard Lowenstein was going overseas. He had three days to do this video. He just finished with Hunters and Collectors. Oh, wow. uh, Talking to a stranger. Because you can see that Hunters and Collectors vibe through this video as well. It was that big artistry kind of thing where you saw the band and then you saw bushes and fucking squiggles and all that shit. Ah, yeah. So he, yeah, Gary, who was uh, managed, you know, he was like the part owner with uh, Chris Murphy, rang 
Richard and said, well, do you like in excess? And he went, no, not really. I don't really like in excess. They're just a Sydney band. And anyway, he said, well, that's great. You've, you can be on a plane tomorrow and do three days shoot before you go overseas. So he didn't even have a crew for this video. So it was one of those videos where he put together a crew. He shot all the boys by the pool with their girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. And it was a very thrown together video because he was going overseas in three days. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved the jungle dancing. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, this has that tour, this has that footage of um, Hutch in the film clip doing the thing with his hand Talking. when he says, yeah. Yeah. Like the thing in yeah. your eyes. And it's that beautiful yeah. footage, that beautiful rare footage from um, Australian Made, was it? No, nah, it wouldn't have been Australian Made. No, no, no. So uh, hang on, hang on. It was, it was the footage that I'm referring to is like it was in the documentary of it's when it's basically when James Freud is doing his impersonation of, of Hutch. And they're in the backyard in St after. Kilda. I know, but it's this, it's this video clip that he's that he's sort of, um, you know, doing the impersonation of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you'll see the little bit I absolutely. mean, absolutely. And and please go in search for um, this rare footage of James Freud and Michael Hutchins in the backyard in St Kilda, and they're sort of getting pissed with their girlfriends, and I, I think it's Sally. And I'm gonna and I'm yeah, and I'm gonna stop you there because we have a special coming up. It's James Freud's tenth anniversary of his death. Oh my god. And we have Jackson Jackson Freud coming on this he wants to celebrate his dad's life Fantastic. on the 80s montage, and that will be coming up in November. Beautiful. Can't wait for that. And on on top of that, the kids were Michael Hutchins. They were their godchildren. You know, Michael was the godfather of those kids. Absolutely. So there's a lot of uh, synchronicity there. But we will have Jackson Freud on the show. It will be around November the 3rd or the 4th um, where we do a show on James Freud and the death of his dad. Wonderful. I can't wait. I, I kind of – James is another huge influence on me. I can't wait for that. It, you know, and we were all friends. Incredible. We're all friends and yep. it all sort of fucking, you know, rocked our world when, when he passed and had a huge impact on us. So I can't believe it's been 10 years, but there you go. 10 years. Absolutely. Canal. We've got some cool um, future eps coming out. We've got, of course, our Kim Wilde special coming up. Mm, Kimmy. Yeah. We'll have our Pat Benatar special coming soon after that. And we've had one of our listeners who is a huge kind of – she's got a macabre fascination. She's going to actually help us. She's a sort of – she's really into sort of deaths and uh, famous deaths and, and uh, um, weird and sort of dark stuff like that. And she's helping us with our Halloween episode. So you'll stay tuned, guys. It's going to be a ripper. Is she a Scorpio? Is her birthday in November? No, I know what time she is. Oh, it sounds very Scorpio. I can't remember. 
So you would have loved Burn For You as a kid because you've seen your own sort of territory on the video. Well, yeah, yeah. Did you realise? And it's all yeah. sort of, it's it, the, the beat is quite tropical. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it's all. Very big summer song. Yeah, yeah. And once again, that sort of oriental synth line, the, the little hook there, you know, it was very big up north, very big up north. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Because so they started off in Queensland and then they went to England in that video. So yeah. that was quite a big tour yeah. that they filmed. Grace Grace Knight was in that video as well from the Eurogliders. I don't know what that was about but probably she was actually in that video. Probably playing they it like a double, together. a double bill or something, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because uh, um, Eurythmic, uh, um, Eurogliders were, were huge in Queensland as well. They, they used to tour up there yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. So that brings us to our Great last song though. on the album. Yeah. Uh, which is All the Voices. Now, I'm not sure if I was having a stroke or if my <laughs> <laughs> or if my fourth coffee was kicking in uh, mid-song. Yep. Mid but this speeds up, doesn't it? It's not just me. Look, I think a couple of the songs do. I think it's quite organic. I think... Uh, they went for that organic, if it's sped up, it's sped up. I'd, it'd be interesting to look into that, whether they did play with a click. And I can't imagine in 84 that there would have been much of a click around. I think it's like a, a click track. I think it's a conscious choice though. It, it's, a, it's a pretty marked increase in, in beats per minute, you know. Like it's it – because <laughs> I rem- even when I was playing it a couple of times today and I went into another room and when I came back I was just like, oh – it, it sort of like, what's happened? <laughs> it had sped up quite a bit. I, I, I can't be going crazy. Unless they've bought in like extra beats in between or something like that, which always sort of gives the illusion of speeding it up. But, um, yeah. Well, there's a lot of percussion over the top of the drums in this song. Yes. At the end. Yeah, true. So percussion can make something sound a little bit faster. Yes. But this is the days in organic recording where the drummer had to just be on the fucking the, the beat. You know. Totally. So sometimes it would sway to the left or the right. And Duran Duran have said that about their albums. Like sometimes... You had to be like a human drum machine to do this. And some producers, and I'm sure Nick Lorne would have done that, would have gone, no, I like the fact that it shifts five beats per minute. It sort of brings in that spooky element. So it could have been a couple of things, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't think they use drum machine on this album, but it's a very clean... No, they didn't. They didn't. It's a very clean drum sound, isn't it? It's a fucking amazing drum sound. Yeah. Everything about it's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's the thing that that's basically the root of the album are the drum sounds. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. You've got and to that's have when they did it live. They really tried to recreate that drum sound, but the keyboards sort of went a bit missing. It's very hard to recreate that particular type of drum sound live because mm. Um, mm. you know if you're getting all that spill. In a live venue, um, it 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 doesn't sound like the beautiful sort of isolated drum beats that they have on the recording. Not only that, the BVs were quite gospel. They were quite yeah. hear the voices, and they just split it in two harmonies. There was one song that fucking annoyed me. It might have been Johnson's aeroplane. Um, 
All other oh, is a four or five part harmony, and they just went for this really annoying top harmony and live that just doesn't give it that thickness. Yeah. So the harmonies were really hard to redo as well, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, I don't mind that. Um, I mean, look, you can't. Look, it was a time where we didn't have what we have now. Yeah. And you couldn't put vocals on tracks. You couldn't do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, there we go. There's our album. I, I, I fucking... Love it. Oh, God. I just can't say enough about this album. It, you, you, it, it would have been very hard to follow this up. And, and the, the follow-up... What was the follow-up to this album? It didn't, it didn't have the same freshness that this album does this i think this album's got a, lo- a lot of freshness and spontaneity to it because you're listening to a band sort of redefine themselves and there's a real really beautiful newness to it all um mm. so yeah it's yeah. even though there was one in between this and kick i believe um kick is very commercial sounding but um, this is beautiful. You, you know, you would you would think this was the work of a much, much bigger band. And, of course, they would go on to be a much, much bigger band. Uh, but this, you know, th- this sort of really got them noticed in the US. It was very, I guess they had a bit of a controversial uh, entry to mainstream US as well. But that always helps, you know. A bit of, a bit of controversy doesn't hurt. And they were getting... Um, listen Like Thieves. Listen Like Thieves, of course. But they were getting uh, death threats and shit because of Original th- original Sin. They were getting death threats from um, people yeah. that didn't believe in, um, you know, biracial unions and stuff. Um, they, they were getting ridiculous. Sent yeah, I remember that. And they had a dude... Yeah. They had a dude throw... I think it was a record. I think it was an LP. I think he threw it on stage and it had written on it, thank you for helping us. And he was a black dude. He, he, he had written, thank you for helping us. It's just right. so, so incredible. It, it had a huge impact on the US, this, this, that song, Original Sin, but this album as well. Everybody wanted to know who they were. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. One of incredible. their most incredible albums. Just dynamically, dynamically amazing. It gives you a sense of imagination. You can think what you think of it, you know. And they were kind of a little bit political in this as well, but very softly political. Yeah. Where they brought things up. I don't know. I can't even explain it really. Yeah. Yeah. It's magic. It's truly magic. It's one of those things. Please put it on and definitely seek it out if you can on vinyl. It plays really beautifully. It really holds up. The sounds are just fantastic. Play the whole album. People don't do that anymore. Play the whole album, guys. Um, you know, put aside well, right. a little bit of time, you know, on the weekend. Play it on a Sunday morning. It's fucking awesome. You'll dance all your way through. It's a beautiful album. Enjoy it like we do, please. 
Absolutely. And and I'm sure a lot of Aussies will appreciate this special because we haven't gone for kick. We haven't gone for an album that's the obvious choice. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we've done something that relates to our childhood. We've done something that relates to, I mean, this was definitely my beginning of Loving in Excess. Yeah. I really didn't know much about them before this. Yep. Because um, I was into a lot of women singers. I loved women singers. But the feeling you get from this music – and Maddie and I have, me- have met Nick Lornay. We've actually – and I didn't even know at the stage when I met him that he was the whole swing dude. Like I had no idea. Plus I wasn't over there for me. I was over there for Maddie so I'm not going to fucking promote myself. Yeah. Um, I just used to watch it. And Nick Lornay is a lovely guy. He's a lovely, lovely guy. And Maddie went to parties over there in LA with him. And we should, because we're going to have an In Excess special and we should get Nick Lornay in because he is still incredible at what he does. And he's still producing, still in the business. He he lives in LA. Um, and, yeah, brilliant yeah, guy. Yeah, that's right. Brilliant guy. So there we go, guys. That's our first Album review, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have a favourite album, please write to us because um, we love sort of looking at it and analysing it and pulling it all apart and looking at all the parts. And um, So if you've got a favourite album from the 80s, let us know and we'll review it, please. And you'll hear all the tracks because we are APRA registered, so you'll hear all the tracks from the record and you get to, you know, just live a few memories. Absolutely. Now, um, if you have any memories like the ones that we've shared about the album, please share them on our yeah. social media and let's get chatting. Really have a good old reminisce about this time and about this album and think back to when you first heard it and let us know, guys. Absolutely. Now, I just want to thank our first Am- – we got a fantastic American interview on iTunes this week. Our first American person. Isn't that lovely? We we do have a lot Love of um, a lot of followers in the US, but we could do with a we few do, more but reviews. A bit yeah, don't be scared of Fuck us, mate. Us we could. We're lovely. Don't be scared. We'll come around and lick your ass off. Oh, um, when we can fly again. But you know, I I remember um, even <laughs> when we can fly again. Even when I um, even when I sort of enter the US at customs. They, they're freaked out by me. I'm lovely, I think. And I said to the man at customs, he said, he said to me, um, "You look like you're going to come in here and do and, and cause some damage." And I was like, "Nah, dude." Oh wow. Yeah, I was like, "Nah, dude. I'm a sweetheart." He had no idea what I fucking said. Well, Americans are. I love them, but when I went over to see Maddie do the Sunset Strip, Australians are pretty out there. Yeah, I think you do. I, th- you do, I you d- think Americans might think we're a little bit crazy. Yeah, and we are really. We are a bit. It's all the time in the sun. So this comes from who is the person? And we want to thank you so much. And we want to make sure that other Americans. I've got R H Nat. Ah, via yeah. Apple iTunes United States. R H. Do you know them? R H Nat. Yeah, Ra Nat. <laughs> Ranat, uh, right. I don't know. So the first word is fucking rad, which is awesome. Five stars. These two are super entertaining. Love this podcast. Check it out. What a sweetheart. That's all you need to say. I love it. So be like be, yeah. be like Ranat and 
write us a lovely review, guys. If you love the show, please like and subscribe. Come on board. Um, you know, rev- give us a review and give us a rating as well, a five-star rating, no less than five. And come on board as a Patreon. You can find us on patreon.com. Yeah, well, you can also get www. Did I do three Ws or I'm just pissed? You don't have to say that anymore. People know that. You don't really? Is that so 80s of me? It's like the beginnings of the internet. (laughs) (laughs) WWW. Okay. The80smontage.com. There we go. And I want people to watch Wentworth. Yes, Sammy. You'll be seeing a little pixie. You'll be seeing a little pixie next week as well. That's right. Sammy's gone mental on that, and they they wrapped up the show. Yep. <laughs> um, not because of wrapped Sammy going mental, but you will see her going mental mm, on might that show. Be. Yeah. Um, and so we yeah we we're hoping for a, another um another season of that, so we can see more of our lovely Sammy, and um or even a spin off would be fantastic. I think they will. I reckon that's where we're going. Yeah, brilliant. But I did, yeah, yeah, look, basically just the last two weeks are going to be interesting. Yeah. So, so tune into Wentworth as well. It's a really great Australian so hide all, Hi to all the Wenty people. Yeah, Wenty. <laughs> Good on you guys. Now, thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Guys, we're going to sign off now. Um, stay fucking safe out there everybody in lockdown still in victoria we love you we love our fans thank you for listening in um we hope we've been entertaining please write to us and uh, let us know how you're going all right yeah well if it's music mateys or Or cool cool shit shit from from the the 80s 80s. we're gonna talk about it unreal unreal